This is Ms. Mrs. Nelson here. I am going to continue the read aloud for the book that we started before school was kind of interrupted. So um, for those of you that in, are interested in still continuing, I'm going to do a different podcast for each chapter. So we are currently on chapter three, and this is Courage for Beginners by Karen Harrington. Just a reminder that so far we know that our character's name is Missy. Misty, I'm sorry, her name is Misty. And Misty is living in a house where her mom has social anxiety and doesn't leave. So we've been introduced to her and her family. We know that um, her mom doesn't go out, but her and um, I think her siblings do, they do go to school. And her dad has been trying to push her mom to get to go outside of the house, but it has not been successful. So here we go, this is chapter three. Here is a girl with long red hair, age 12 and two minutes, who wonders why the house is so quiet. Maybe they think I'm unprepared for their surprise. I'm not. I'm decidedly ready for it. I step into the hallway. The house is too quiet. No showers running, no Cheerios hitting the bowl, no TV news reports, broadcasting strife in a distant city, nothing. Even my dog Larry is silent as a log. And then... She doesn't even know what's about to happen. I hear the whispering, my little brown-haired sister Laura giggling. A conspiracy is afoot. I know what they are trying to do. Do they think they can trick me? Me? In our tiny, tiny house that's so small you can hear a dust bunny poop? This is probably all my dumb sister's idea. I grab a handful of marbles from my bookshelf and hop across the hall to her room. I pull up her bottom bedsheet and spread the marbles all over. Later, she'll think she's sleeping on rocks. Here is a girl about to turn the tables on her unsuspecting family. I get on my hands and knees and crawl toward the dining room art studio. My dog, Larry, sidles up to me and almost gives away my cover. Shoo, Larry. Then I peek into the kitchen. I spot them. Their backs are to me, and all in a huddle of, in, of intended surprise. They don't even know what's coming. They are expecting me to walk by the kitchen table. But there are two doors to the kitchen, and none of them is watching this door. That's a rookie move, not guarding both doors. Surprise, I yell. They spin around. Mama jumps and hollers and grabs the countertop. Oh my gosh, Misty. She puts her hand to her heart. Gotcha, I say, and then I fall over laughing. But now they are all smiling and happy as the paint color lemon yellow. I have to take a moment to really see what my eyes see. Wrapped presents, a tall chocolate cake with 12 candles, one for each year I haven't been anywhere else but here. Happy birthday, Misty, Dad says. 12, huh? Make a wish. 12 years from now, I will be in France. That is my wish. Poof, the candles are out and my wish is a smoke signal to the universe. Mama hugs me. Then she pulls out something from behind the bread box. Now, it's not completely dry yet, she says. It's an oil painting, a really beautiful painting. Red poppies in a sea of yellow-green grass, a pale blue sky, a red-haired girl in white shorts with her hair trailing behind her. Carefree me in an unknown place, maybe France. Definitely France. Thanks, Mama, I said. The painted me has never looked so good. In real life, I wish I looked as good as this painting. The long red hair matches mine, the light blue eyes, the tiny freckles across my cheeks, all that is fine. 
What doesn't match is that the painted girl has a nice smile. The real me does not. The real me has a mile wide gap between my two front teeth. The real me does not smile like this. Why would she? Dad presents me with a red kite, a book of jokes, and an IOU to fix the zigzag crack in my ceiling. Why didn't you just give me a roll of duct tape so I can fix it myself, I tease him. Hardy har, Misty. Hey, why don't you cats play poker in the jungle, he asked. Why, I ask. There's too many cheetahs. Get it? Like me, my dad has thick red hair and blue eyes and the love of a good joke. Open mine next, Laura says. So I do. A book of stories I begged for. There are lots of blanks, and you get to fill in some of the story ideas and change the direction of the plot. According to the back cover, within the pages, there are 267 story possibilities. I've tried to get the little brown-haired brat to pretend she's in a story, too. We could each write chapters, I said. We could invent magical lands or trips to the moon or being rock stars who sell Girl Scout cookies, I tell her. Here is a girl giving wonderful lyrics and a box of Thin Mints to the president. And Laura always says, no, tell me your stories, Misty. Laura. She's less of a do-it-yourself girl and more of a do-it-for-me kind of person. I don't think she was born with a very highly developed imagination. So I tell her my stories. Her favorite is about an eavesdropping owl. The owl leans in near the bedroom windows of little girls. He listens. He gathers bits of talk about Barbies who lost their heads. And when he tells his friends what he heard, they just say, who, who? And he has to gossip again. Laura applauds and laughs and then kicks me out of her bed. I'm tired now. Go back to your room, she says. Well, some listeners are ungrateful. Ungrateful listeners get marbles under their sheets. Aggie doodles for breakfast, Mama announces. She spreads out a nice iron tablecloth and sets up the kitchen table like we're in a fancy restaurant. Then she makes the most fabulous ham and cheese Aggie doodle in the history of Aggie doodles. Aggie doodle for the birthday girl, Mama says as she places the plate in front of me. And what about braces? This is the year for braces, right? I ask. There it is, the sharp glance between Mama and Dad. I know what I'm doing playing this trick. Even my dog Larry knows I will not be getting braces this year. Because even Larry knows there's only one adult here who drives. We'll discuss it, Dad says finally. How about you tell us a joke from your book, he asks. We will discuss it means that it will probably not be discussed anytime soon. I pick up my joke book. Why won't aliens eat clowns, I ask. I don't know. Why, says Dad. Because they taste funny. That's not a bad joke. After breakfast, I will text that joke to Annabelle Gomez. Annabelle Gomez is my one friend. I'm not still and quiet in front of him. I am myself. That is the end of chapter three. Chapter 5, Courage for Beginners. Here is a talentless girl who had the impossible dream of winning the, the Beatty Middle School Talent Contest. Last year's talent show was not one of my better ideas, I admit. Maybe it was a story idea that should have stayed in my head. I'm usually more cautious about putting myself in the white-hot spotlight of embarrassment. But when I picture myself with Annabelle, well, 
Everything else, the kids' comments, gum stuck on my shoe, a bad hair day, all those things fall away like dry leaves. So I'd written my name down with Annabelle, and he said he'd do it if I came up with the talent. We didn't know if we had any talent beyond surviving the bus ride home and making fun of our lunches. You call that a tuna sandwich? No, I call it Fred. Who eats a hot dog without a bun? Someone whose mother forgot to buy buns. So I asked mom what I should do for a talent. Oh, won't you be scared up on that stage, she asked. Is it high off the floor? Do you think you'll fall? So I went to ask my dad. What? I don't know, he said. Tell some jokes. I love that one about the cow. Then I asked my sister Laura. Too bad you can't sing like me, she said. Taylor Swift, better watch out. I went to get the mail and asked her next door neighbor, Mrs. Jennings. Can you sew, she asked. I won a contest in high school by sewing my own pants. They were red. I carried the mail toward our brown front door and spotted the mysterious woman who goes somewhere across the street. Hey, what kind of talent would you like to see performed by two 11-year-olds, I thought to ask her. But I chickened out and didn't talk to her because I suspect woman who goes somewhere is full moon crazy. I tallied up all the results of my survey on a piece of paper. Tell a joke, sing, sew red pants, walk on by. Just don't do it because it's scary. I favored the last idea, which was my mom's. But I did it anyway. It's true that mom is pretty much afraid of everything. She has a belief that nefariousness is everywhere. And sometimes I try to do the opposite to test out my own hypothesis of fear. Because the main thing I'm afraid of is not getting to go to Paris. So your garden variety talent show? What's to fear? As it turns out, a talent show includes what we might call unknown fears. It was two days before the talent show, and no talent was showing up. So I wrote a poem, which in my opinion had a lot of depth and angst for a person of my young years. It included the words vast and formidable. Its theme called up a person who rarely left the house. She was a person who rarely left the house. During the day, she was quiet as a mouse. We're going to embarrass ourselves, Annabelle said. I know, I replied. It was a stupid idea. No, it was brave, he said, handing me a Mentos mint. Annabelle Gomez is never without a mint and a word of encouragement. Fresh breath and support are good qualities in a friend. So we followed through. We were brave. Our names were called right after Kelly Springfield finished performing a baton twirling routine that seemed to defy the rules of spine structure. Principal Blakely announced, and now a performance by um, Annabelle Gomez and Misty Murphy. Oh, yes, Misty Murphy, he said. There was no time to consider how I hated my name with a red hot passion. We walked onto the stage and collected the last scraps of Kelly's applause, which was a good thing because that was the only real clapping we would earn. 400 pairs of eyes watched us perform across the cafeteria. I was nervous. Someone, I think it was my mother, said you should picture the audience naked so that you don't get nervous while speaking in public. My advice? Don't do this. It will make you turn red and forget what you came to do. Annabelle rapped a beat while I read my poem. Vast, formidable, mouse. Boom digga boom boom. 
Annabelle did a great job. He's got skills. We soon learned what the sound of a slow, sarcastic clap sounded like. Vast. And then the shouts, Hey, Annabelle, that performance was like you. Large. No matter, we brushed it off like crumbs off a table. Gone. We came to do what we signed up for, and we had a great laugh about it on the bus. Other people had a great laugh on the bus, too, if you know what I mean. For two days, I thought about Annabelle's request to be in a social experiment. This is a big change, a colossal change, and we know I'm not the president of the fan club for change. Finally, I called him. Okay, I said, I'll go along with your I want to be a hipster experiment. Not all your ideas have been this lame. We won a science fair ribbon, didn't we? Annabelle replied. Yes, I said. We won last year for our lame deodorant comparison experiment. And it's only during school hours, you know, Annabelle offered. Besides, you'll enjoy the show. You will see me in the hallways and be in awe of my mad skills, he said. I'll try to contain my amazement, I replied. Feel free to take pictures of my new and improved seventh grade awesomeness and send them to my phone, he said. Whatever. I have to go play Little House on the Prairie now, I told him. More cantaloupe, he asked. Isn't it always, I replied. I hung up the phone and took stock of my situation. I'd be a seventh grader in a week and would have to temporarily pretend I didn't know Annabelle Gomez during school hours so that he could prove his theory of social coolness. These are the kinds of things you only do in the name of friendship. There are harder challenges in the big blue world anyway. And that is the end of chapter five.